in, in, in John chapter 12 that he was going to be lifted up and all men would be drawn to himself. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a victory statement that he's making, but this looks far from it. It looks far from victory. It looks like failure. It looks like failure. It looks like defeat. It looks like death. It is death. It looks like all of these things, but it, has, it is actually, according to Paul, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's this, it's this thing that is mysterious and beautiful. And it's this, it's this beauty. It's this mysterious beauty that, that saves the world. We have, and we have been asking you over the last number of weeks as we've considered this beautiful surrender series. We've went, went through the stories in the Bible and we've asked you that maybe for some of us need to surrender control. Some of us need to sender, surrender our rights. For some we need to surrender our, our longing to retaliate, our need to retaliate. For some we've just been asking you to surrender self. A denying of self and taking up your cross and following Jesus. There's something about this story. There's something about what took place at 6 o'clock on that Good Friday that almost requires us to surrender reason. And I'm not saying we approach the Bible. We don't approach the, the Word. We don't approach our Christian faith thinking really well. He's given us our minds. But there's something in this that we just can't explain. I love the, how the songwriter uh, penned his, I can't remember who it was, but he, 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 he put these words on paper and says, Love so unexplainable I can hardly speak. So unexplainable I can hardly speak. Blew him, blew, it, just, it just takes your breath away. It's something so wonderful that you can't explain it. It's so mysterious and so beautiful. But it's a beauty and it's a mystery that that saves the world and, and he's turned everything on its head and now all the things that we thought looked like par we're now being told something completely different because par now looks like surrender par now looks like a denying of self we're now told that wisdom wisdom is no longer all the things that you thought it was wisdom is actually laying down your life it's turned everything on its head. Six o'clock on that Good Friday, everything was turned on its head. Nothing would ever be the same again. We want to keep asking that question, what is it that he over, overcame? I want you to know, and this has, become, this has become so precious to me this week, that what happens in the death of Jesus is because of a loving God. See, back in, this, in the Near East, back in, the, in these in these these uh, early centuries, the pagan narrative would have, would have told about a deity, would have told about a God that was so angry that needed to appease his wrath. And, and, uh, and sometimes we, we end up approaching that with the same pagan narrative that we see right back in the, in the, with the barbarians in the early centuries. But what's going on here is completely different. What happens in the death of Jesus is because of a loving God. And so Paul never says that, that, that God was punishing Jesus. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says that, that, that God was punishing sin that was in the flesh of Jesus. In this moment, God is not, he's not, a, he's not a raging deity that needs to kill someone, that needs to slaughter someone. 
He is a loving God and his, he is committed to the covenant that he set up right at the beginning. He is so committed to that covenant that he spoke in Genesis chapter 1 that he was going to go to whatever lengths it took to restore that covenant. He's a covenant restorer. restorer. He's one that is so loving. He is one that longs to reconcile, to restore. He is so faithful. He is so relentless that he'll do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to restore that covenant that he made with his people. Overwhelming. Overwhelming picture of a loving God, of a faithful God, of a covenant keeper. See, the cross is right from the beginning. God's plan, there was a plan that he put in place that we would rule and reign with him. That we would be his image bearers that reflect him to to creation, to the world, to all humanity. That's what the Father's heart was right at the beginning. That's what he always longed for. And so you know the cross, the cross is so central the cross is pivotal because the cross is the part of is part of God's plan to put the whole world right. The cross is his plan to, to to restore all of that which was lost, to restore all that we had given away. He came to put the whole world right. To restore the original covenant, to restore his original design. And so the cross is part of putting that all right. We get to the New Testament and the story of Jesus and the narrative that Paul carries through to the early church. It's all about the kingdom coming to earth. And right at the center of all of that is the cross. The cross is part, the cross is part of, is the plan, is God's plan to put the whole world right. The cross is the plan of God to, break, to make sure that the kingdom comes to earth. His longing was that heaven and earth would always interact we gave something away in Genesis 3. We gave something away and, and he's longing right through the early fathers, right through Moses and Abraham. He was looking to restore that relationship. Restore those, that covenant that he had made right in the beginning. And so the cross of Jesus, what we're going to celebrate and sing about in a few moments is the cross and the resurrection. I want to suggest for me this week has been beautiful to be reminded that it's about him restoring covenant. He is a covenant keeper. He is so faithful to his covenant. He is so loving that he will do whatever it takes to keep the covenant that he made with his people. We've heard Eugene many times. We've touched on it. We've touched on it briefly over the last number of weeks and months. Eugene, the language Eugene has put around it is that we have... We have promoted a reductionist gospel. We have made the gospel all about, only about people going to heaven when they die. The cross is so much more than that. The cross is not so that people go to heaven when they die. Jesus did not give up his life. Jesus is not to surrender his life just so that we go to heaven when we die. It's a reductionist gospel. To deny all that Jesus came to do, all that he came to achieve. See, he came to deal with the sin problem, absolutely. He came to deal with the problem of sin, but, but, that, but that was more than just releasing us to go to heaven. It was doing so much more than that. It's doing that, and thank God that it's doing that. 
Thank God that because of the cross, thank God that because Jesus came, that we have an eternity with him to, to look forward to. But it's more than that. He came to release us from the grip of idols. He came to release us from the thing that we'd, that we'd, that we'd given our authority away to, that we'd given our, our control away to, we'd given it away to idols, and he's came to release us from the grip of idolatry. See, the, 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 the problem with sin is ultimately a failure to worship. A failure to worship. And so we've given away, we've give away our, our right to rule. We've, give away, uh, we've given it away to the grip of idols. So, the, so dealing with the sin problem, it releases us from that grip. Dealing with the sin problem is so that we can actually worship the living God. Dealing with the sin problem means that we can now be renewed according to his image, what he's always been longing for. And I want you to keep hearing that. This is what he's always been longing for, that we would be renewed into his image. We would be restored as the image bearers he created us to be. And dealing with the sin problem is, is releasing us not only to go to heaven when we die, but it's releasing us from the grip of, the, of idols and it's releasing us to be renewed according to his image. See, I, as I read through the, the whole narrative of the scriptures, it's clear that what it looked like to be an image bearer was, was to rule. And we've given it over to powers, we've given it over to other authorities, we've given it over to, to idols. And there was so much more going on. There was so much more going on on that Good Friday than I have ever taken notice of, than I have ever realized. See, John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that, that Jesus came. He came to, the reason for him coming was to destroy the devil's work. It was to destroy the devil's work. Was, the, the devil's work was to, to, to steal to kill and to destroy, to steal our, our original calling, to destroy the destiny that was written over us as the image bearers of God. He came to, to take all that away. He came to manipulate and, and, and aggravate and destroy and, and cause you to fix your eyes somewhere else, cause you to look elsewhere. And Jesus came to destroy that work. Jesus came to destroy the work of the, of the devil, of the enemy. Paul picks up something similar in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. That he came and he gave his life so that we'd be rescued from evil. We'd be rescued from evil. And as I follow, off on a side note, as I follow through some of all that, that, that was going on, all that was different on that Good Friday at 6 o'clock, it, it's made the Lord's Prayer seem to make so much more sense to me. It's almost like all that God was doing, all that Jesus achieved on the cross, all that he had conquered, all that he had defeated in his death, is actually made up in so much of what, we, of what Jesus taught us to pray. This is, a, this is a loving God that gives us all that we need. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us because we're going to be about forgiving others. Lead us not into the temptation towards the idol, 
towards that thing that grips, towards that thing that consumes, and deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And uh, there is so much more going on, and, and maybe you have been fully aware of all of this. But for me, there's been moments, and, and sometimes the fear that I have as we come to another Easter Sunday is, is there anything new to say? Is there anything more that we can pick up from this story? And it's been my joy this week just to, just to sit with him and for a moment just to have those light bulb moments. Ah, that's what you were doing. You've just been all along. You've been longing to restore. You're so faithful to your covenant. You're so faithful to your people that you've just been longing to restore us into that image all along. And look what you've done. Look at the lengths that you will go to, to restore that, to make that possible. For the sake of time, there's some things that I'd love us to pick up over the next few weeks as we continue to, to pursue what a life of beautiful surrender looks like. See, we've been invited in to, to surrender in the same way that we've seen modeled. It reminds us in Romans chapter 8 of, of we're now sons and we're going to share in, in all that glory. We're going to share in that inheritance Sometimes I'm so tempted to leave this bit out, provided that we share in his sufferings, provided that we follow his example, provided that we take his lead. Because if you want to know power, if you want to know wisdom, then it's in looking at Jesus. It's in looking at him crucified. And power is surrender. Wisdom is laying down your life. And that's what Jesus did. See, this, was a, this, was, this was voluntary submission. John, Jesus reminds us of that, particularly in the Gospel of John. That, there's that incredible chapter, John chapter 10, favorite for some in this room. He's a good shepherd. And he tells us, that, I'll lay it down, John chapter 10, verse 18, if you want the verse. I'll just make sure that it's 18, John chapter Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is what I've, this is the command that I've received from my father. John chapter 15, verse 13, again, something similar. Greater love is no one than this, than he lays down. He lays down his life for his friend. And that's what John is calling us to. He calls, it, calls us to that in his letter. First John chapter 3, verse 16. You want to know what true love is. You want to know what this self-sacrificial love looks like. You want to know what following the way of Jesus looks like. True love is laying down your life for a friend. It's laying down your life for one another. Incredible things that Jesus was doing. Incredible things that he was conquering, that he was defeating all that was going on to the unseen eye. All that was different after six o'clock on that Good Friday he had already defeated. He had already taken grip of the idol. He had already defeated the elements that would, that would, uh, that would cause us to forget who we are. I want us to, to be reminded of how that was 
affirmed. The resurrection confirmed it all. And, uh, and I've asked Margaret. Margaret's going to come and, and remind us of the account in John chapter 20. And then after that, Jenna's going to come and tell us what Paul has to say in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Thanks, Margaret. John chapter 20 beginning at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth, that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she wept, bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. The resurrection of the dead. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, if this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Thank you, ladies. Margaret, Jenna, thank you so much. Um, two passages that have just really provoked me over the last few days. and uh, I suppose you could pick any one of the the resurrection accounts of the Gospels. But for me, as, I, as I've read over John, I've, I've almost found myself coveting that reaction of wonder. I found myself coveting that moment of, wow, what a moment. What an incredible moment to, to arrive and that, that Jesus is, has risen. Because I just love, I love that that, that, that that sense of wonder would not be lost on us. Sometimes I fear that it, that it is, for me anyway. It's an incredible moment. And, and I just, and then I find Paul's language just in, again, incredibly, it's almost quite provocative. First Corinthians, in, in, in this passage, he's saying, if not for this moment, if not for this moment, then all that you're doing, it's useless. If this moment never happened, then you're all liars. If this moment, if we didn't have this moment, then everything that you're doing, everything that you're preaching, every ministry thing that you're trying to attempt, it's all in vain. It's all pointless. It is really provocative language. It's, it's how real the resurrection was for Paul. And it's how real he wanted his readers to grasp it. This, this, is not, this is not one of those things that you can take or leave. If this didn't happen, you're deceiving yourselves, you're deceiving everybody around you. Everything that you're doing, everything that you're about, it's pointless, it's a waste of time. As I thought of this morning as we're gathered around people that, that just represent different ministries or represent different passions or different areas that the field God's called them to the consideration of it being all pointless and all futile without this moment was was a was really challenging and I just would love to stir that thought in you that we can't miss the wonder. We can't miss the wonder because without this we've just another failed Messiah. Paul speaks of other ones who came claiming to be the one. Claiming to be the anointed one. Claiming to be the Christ. Claiming to be the Messiah. Without the resurrection, we just have another one of those stories to add to the rest of them. We have another failed Messiah. And it's, it's again, it's even more, it's even more than, see the resurrection, it's not just a, it's not just a surprise, happy ending. It's not a surprise, happy ending. 
close up the book, let's sing Seaway the Morning. It's so much more than that. It, it doesn't feel like it's, a, it's an ending. It feels like it's the, it's the start of something. It's, the glorious, it's a glorious beginning. At the castle on Friday, John reminded us of the, of, uh, of the part in Je- uh, in, on the cross when Jesus cried out, It is finished. And thinking about that, being reminded that Jesus, and, and John reminded me again that Jesus said, It is finished. He never said, I am finished. It's almost like he was just getting started. See, the resurrection was not, was not close the book, happy ending, a happy ending to an amazing story. A happy ending, a surprise ending, but a happy ending to an incredible story. No, it's a glorious beginning. It's the start of something incredible. And so what the resurrection did was, was, was confirm all of those things that Jesus had, had taken upon himself on that Good Friday. When darkness covered the earth, when the veil was torn in two, when the rocks even split open, the resurrection confirmed it all. That Jesus had, had taken those idols, idols that grip, and he had sorted them out. He had, he had got rid of, he had defeated, he had defeated those elements that cause us to forget who we are. And the darkest and the strongest power of them all is if we were to follow that uh, chapter right on through that Jenna has read, which I would encourage you to do, it gets to the end and says, Death, where is your victory? Death, where, where are you now? And it feels like in that moment as we are reminded of this, we can stick our chests out a bit. The darkest and the strongest power of them all has been defeated. And the resurrection confirms all of that. And we stick our chests out and say, idols, you've been defeated. I no longer have to be gripped by you. I no longer have to be consumed by the things that cause me to forget who I am. And even more than that, death, you no longer have any hold on me. Death, I've no longer anything to fear because even, even Jesus... King Jesus, Savior, Lord is, has even defeated that. He's even dealt with that. And now, to go back to this power language, and now there's a new power. There's a new power that's been unleashed in the world. And it's like a power that would never have been expected it's like a power that seems so countercultural. It's like a power that just counters everything that we would have ever known or thought of before. Because it's a power that is now demonstrated in love. It's a power that is now seen in self-denial. It's now a power that is seen through the forgiven of our enemies. It's a strange type of power, but this is the power that has been unleashed in the world. This is now the power that lives in you. The resurrection power now resides in each one of you that have said, yes, Jesus. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. I believe that even now you sit at the right hand of the Father. That resides in each one of us. The resurrection power. The resurrection power that that allows us to love the unlovable. That resurrection power that allows us to forgive our enemies. 
that resurrection power that causes us to be like Jesus and, and, and give away of ourselves, lay down our lives for the sake of for the sake of Jesus. It lives in you. Paul reminds us of that in Romans 8. Jesus, Jesus tells us in Romans chapter four, or John chapter 14, verse 19, because I live, you also will live. So everything has changed. Because of this moment, everything now looks different. Everything is different. And now, as we look back to Good Friday, as we look back to Good Friday through the lens of what, of what the girls have read, as we look back through the lens of, of, the, of the resurrection, it's no longer the public, shameful humiliation of Jesus, but it's the public humiliation of the principalities and powers. This is what Jesus was doing. Colossians 2, Colossians 2, verse 13, 14, and 15. Let me read these verses. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins and he cancelled the written code with his regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, and he took it away, nailing to the cross. In verse 15. And, this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle of his enemies. He made a public humiliation of the powers and the principalities that had caused us to give away our authority, it caused us to give away our power, it caused us to give away our inheritance, it caused us to give away the, the, who we truly are. He shamefully, he, he, he exposed it all. He exposed every lie. Exposed every, every corruption. He exposed everything that would take a grip on you. He's exposed it. He's humiliated it and nailed it to the cross. See, because we were, we, we worshipped something else. For me, I, I, I know that that makes it makes sense to me when I think of sin. I know whenever sin is trying to have its have its way with me, is that I will I'm, I'm worshiping something else. I'm I'm giving my affection elsewhere. I'm, I'm I'm giving all my my devotion to something else. I've worshipped something else. I'm giving away something of myself to another object of my affection. given away what it means to be his image bearer and to use the language of Paul this, this is what is all heaped up it's all heaped up on Jesus and he takes back the cross and the resurrection he's restoring this covenant he takes back the power and he takes it back not only so that we go to heaven when we die but we are given the chance to be who we were always meant to be We were, he's given us the chance to be who we're always meant to be. In verse 43 of that 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. And for me, it's why this, this subject, this series has been so important. It's why I feel that we want to follow this on for another, 
another few weeks. Surrender is so important because Paul says what is sown in weakness is raised in power. What you allow to die, what you lay before Jesus, what you sacrifice, how you forgive, all of that, what looks like weakness as you sow that, as you lay that down, it's raised in power. Jesus says in John chapter 12 that unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many seeds. It's in surrender that, that there's fruitfulness. It's in surrender that there, is a, that there is a harvest. It's in laying down our lives that we're going to see that we're going to see more people coming to, to know Jesus. See, a corpse, the message version of that same verse says that a corpse planted has no beauty, but when it's raised, it's glorious. And so the rulers have been given their, their death blow. 1 Corinthians 15. They've been given their death blow. Death, you've been swallowed up in victory. It's been given rulers, the authorities, the powers, the principalities have been given their death blow. And it's not so that we can just escape for heaven, but it's that now... Jesus is Lord. That now Jesus is Lord and we live under that. We live under that and we announce his kingdom. And as we say so often when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are not simply the beneficiaries of his death and his resurrection. We are in fact his agents. We are his agents of reconciliation. As his image bearers one that he has restored covenant with, one that he has restored relationship with. We are now not just beneficiaries of all of this, but we are agents of this message. We are agents of this transforming message that has saved the world. And he longs that, that, that no one misses out on that. He longs that all would be restored to that, to that image that he always had designed I see the response of all of this the response of all of this resurrection talk for Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 he says in verse 58 that therefore in light of all of this talk, in light of all of this celebration what do we do now? do we sit back and wait? no, Paul's saying therefore in light of all of this remember you're the agents not just the beneficiaries, so stand firm and give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Give yourselves fully to what he wants to say, what he wants to continue to say, what he wants to continue to do. In light of all of this, verse 58, therefore, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. There's nothing can. Keep on submitting yourself to him. Keep on submitting yourself to his, to his ways. There's no going back from this. Because of the resurrection, there's no, there's no going back. And so as I, I finish with this, the guys are going to come, we're going to celebrate for a few moments and then, and then Neville will lead us in one more thing that we want to do. We want this to be a moment to celebrate. We want this to be a moment that we are reminded that nothing will ever be the same again. 
And this has, to, this has to impact, this has to make more than just a difference to our Sunday. This has to impact more than just Easter Sunday. Because if it just, I would almost add, if that's all right, and I can't add the scripture, but if, you, if I can paraphrase a wee bit of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, if all that you're going to do, if all this is going to do is make a difference to your Sunday, then it's all been futile. If this only changes how, you, how your Sundays look, then it's all been in vain. This is to impact more than, more than your Sunday. This is to impact your whole life. Lay down your lives. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that whatever you do for him is not in vain, as Paul says. So we're reminded that, we, that death has been defeated, that our idols have been conquered, and the rulers and the authorities have been exposed. And that is incredibly good news. Incredibly good news. So good news that I am a big blue cup with a smiley face. The idols have been conquered, death defeated, the rulers and authorities have have been exposed. And so now we live, we live from victory, we don't live for victory. We live from victory, we don't live for victory. We live for this present world, not to get away from it. We are rescued for creation. Paul says in Romans 8 that, that even creation is grown in longing for the people of God to be revealed. We are not rescued from, we're not rescued to get out of here. We are rescued for creation, not to be rescued from. You are uh, an agent of this message. This incredible message, this life transforming message. And so Father, would you stir that in us as we worship, even now. Fan into flame, God, a passion for your name. Fan into flame, a desire to be who you always created us to be. Image bearers that would reveal the reign and rule of King Jesus. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.